Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. When you think about wine country, you probably imagine California, Oregon, Washington, or even upstate New York. But what if I told you there's a budding wine region in the hill country of Texas? Well, it's true. I met with Chris Brundreth of William Chris Vineyards in Texas to talk about what makes wine from Texas so special and to taste some exciting wines. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditor.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditor.com. Hi, I'm John Lennart, and welcome to The Honest Pour. Joining me today is Chris Brundrett of William Chris Vineyard in the Texas Hill Country. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, I appreciate thanks for joining it. me. Yeah. Texas Hill Country, you know, uh, we don't think a lot about wine when we think uh, <laughs> kind of dry Texas Hill Country. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Texas Hill Country is a beautiful, beautiful place to live and a beautiful place to farm. And, uh, you know, we farm all over the state of Texas, but uh, uh, the Texas Hill Country is home to uh, a couple million people uh, in the Austin and San Antonio area. So for people that don't know, it's sort of central Texas, yes, really. Yes, yes, exactly. All right, east, uh, or excuse me, west of west of Austin, about an hour. Great. Uh, how, how is it, you grew up in Texas? I grew up in Texas, in west Texas, or, or really central Texas, uh, central west Texas. Uh, little small town, farm and ranch community called San Angelo. And uh, how did you get into wine business? You know, that's a great question. Um, I started, um, I started in the restaurant business. I was, uh, was kind of did a lot of cowboy work when I was a kid, and uh, I got home one day and I said, "Dad, I I, uh, I don't want to go to college." I was about fifteen. And, uh, I was, <laughs> well, a fifteen-year-old, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was working on a working on a ranch and then uh, working uh, at the livestock auction. And you know, I said, uh, "Dad, I don't want to go to college." He goes, "Why not?" And he said, I "said Man, I'm hanging out with Rusty." Is this uh, uh, and and you know he, he drives a badass four by four pickup and you know hunts and fishes all the time and uh, he was like, you know, well, how much how much does Rusty make? And I was like, seventy five a day, same as me. And uh, he goes, how old is Rusty? And I was like, forty three. And he was like, I want you to think about that for a while. <laughs> so uh, he kind of led me like I had that aha moment and realized that, man, if I if I can't do what I want now, I'm gonna. You know, at 15, you can only do a few things to, that you control your own destiny. And waiting tables, I th I saw as one of those that I could have that uh, potential to, you know, um, make more money. The better waiter I was. Thank God, it got me into waiting tables, and I went to uh, worked at a couple different steakhouses. Sure. In high school, and then went to go play football at the Merchant Marine Academy, um, and dropped out after about uh, two months, and came home uh, to get disowned by my dad, and uh, it went to Texas A&M, and uh, it was there that I kept on in the right, uh, restaurant business, and really found that passion for wine, um, started really enjoying wine, and I was an entomology uh, major in college for really no reason that I just took a class one time, thought it was interesting, and um, really quickly found out that entomology not, wasn't yeah, after a year of entomology wasn't for me. Um, and it was one of my call tables that said, uh, hey, there's a uh, there's a wine in, in Texas. And I said, no way. And uh, it was about two and a half hours from where I grew up. And I, you know, uh, I'd never heard of it. And uh, or never never heard that there was wine in Fredericksburg and in the, in the Hill Country. And so we, my girlfriend and I came and um, bounced around the Hill Country for a couple of days. Uh, 
I shouldn't say this, but I don't think I was even 21 yet. And uh, sure, sure. there was a guy that had just opened up, and uh, he took us in the back and showed us all the tanks and the barrels and the vineyard, and the light bulb went off, and it was like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Like, there's nothing stopping me. Before that, you didn't have a lot of exposure to wine, like at no, home or no, my mom in the restaurant. Drank, you didn't. You well, I drink wine in the restaurant. You know, I mean, that, that's where that's where I kind of, you know, one one day I was just like. Oh my God! This food tastes really great with this wine. You know, I was working at a kind of uh, white tablecloth Italian place for an old Italian family. What was that wine? Do you remember? God, I think it was 14 Hands Cabernet. That it was. Uh, it was like the. It was like that. Back when 14 Hands was just getting started, I was like, man, this is wine tastes better or food tastes better with wine. And imagine know, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh. And so uh, you know, I was probably 19 or 20 or something. You know, f finishing it off the back of the. So then did you go back to A&M? Did you study? Uh, I went back on Monday and I sat outside the viticulture guy's desk. So they have a viticulture department. Yeah, a viticulture and a, a very small budding program. And, and uh, I knocked on the guy's desk at our door and I came in and I said, hey, uh, Dr. McKitchen, this, my name's Chris. I just want to introduce myself. I'm going to be taking your class this year. I'm going to change my major. And he's like, sorry, we don't have any more room. Come back in a year. And uh, I was like... But, I'm not but, leaving. But, but. No, I was just like, I'm not leaving, and uh, I'll work in the vineyard for free. Uh, you know, I was already um, managing a restaurant. I was like, you know, I don't need money. I'll just, and uh, and he was like, no, you know, I'm sorry, you know, no, we don't have any room. You know, I'm under bu budget and all this stuff. And I was like, um, we can keep doing this, but I'm I'm not leaving. And I was just like so determined. And uh, after about 30 minutes, he was like, seven dollars an hour, not a penny more. And I was like. Okay. Well, <laughs> right. I was willing to do it. And for he put free. me in a couple of classes, and uh, I took every single wine tasting, wine making, viticulture class at A and M, and and helped run the the A and M vineyard, and made a lot of good and a lot of really really bad wine. And, Did uh, you? Oh yeah, in the little lab room there, and had some good mentors um, that helped me. Um, you know, there was I wouldn't say back then there was any like great wine making facility or anything like that. It was just very very basic, and uh, uh, gave me enough knowledge to be dangerous and. Um, and then after college, I was headed, I interned in the Hilton. So did you finish your degree? Yeah, finished my degree. And then after you finished your degree, did you have dreams of going to France or Italy I was or going, going to, to Napa? Yeah, I, was, I had a couple of job offers in Napa and uh, I was going to be in my big job offer. I still remember where I was going to be an entomology uh, or a viticultural entomologist, which I think is a fancy word for like a guy that runs around a little S10 pickup and checks traps and reports back <laughs> yeah, to the manager, right. you know, for like 40,000 acres. And, uh, I told my wife or my girlfriend then I was like, babe, I just they offered us I think it was sixty thousand dollars and I was like, we're gonna be rich and we're gonna live in Napa. <laughs> you know? Sixty thousand dollars doesn't go a long yeah, way in Napa. Right, right, right. And uh, and you know, it, I tasted and I actually accepted that job, and uh, I always felt feel really bad that I like ended up accepting a job and then like a couple of days later calling back, I'd had a couple of different Texas wines that really flipped my switch. That are, you know that that. I had that moment to where it was like, there's something really cool going on here, and I don't want to miss it. Um, Prior to that switch being flipped, did you have like a little bit of a, did you have a, an opinion about Texas wines that maybe they weren't yeah, that they great? Weren't, or, no, they weren't that great, and they really weren't. And um, and even uh, the little, the first job I got, you know, I thought we were, I look back now, and we we're making a lot of very marginal wines. The, the guy that uh, that I had worked for, or he had just bought an existing winery. And uh, he was making like 500 cases, and you know I was helping him out with that. And uh, so I, I actually. So why didn't you go to California then? 
because I wanted to be a part of the Texas scene, I felt like I could make a difference there. And uh, uh, I took the job that I interned at and um, worked there and brought that winery from 400 to 4,000 cases. And I didn't have a, I was the winemaker and the, the vineyard manager and it was like, just trying to figure it out. And we made a lot of really good and a lot of very, very marginal wines. When was that? Um, that was 2006, 2007, That's 10 years ago. Yeah. So in the past 10 years, how have you seen the, uh, well, particularly in the Texas Hill Country, the Texas sure. wine um, production night scene change? Day, night and day. What's difference. going on now? Um, so 10 years ago, um, the scene, we were in a wine renaissance. It was a lot of like second and third career people that took a couple of weekend courses, read a couple of books, came home from France or, or, or Italy. To Davis and said, or maybe. Yeah, <laughs> this is what I want to do. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't people that were, were maybe doing it for a living. You know, they, they were maybe on the weekends or maybe it was the, the third career that, you know, they, they didn't have to make money in order to survive. And, and uh, so, and I really, after a couple of years, I realized that a lot of people weren't as focused on farming as they should be. They were bringing in grapes from California or, um, you know, like, oh, we didn't make another crop this year. Um, you know, we'll have to go get outside fruit. And um, that bothered me. And I was, I almost left the wine industry in Texas and, and went to the West Coast. Uh, I was pretty close. And then I met my business partner, um, Bill Blackman, uh, who had been farming in Texas for like 30 years. And there was a little extension day, you know, where the, 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 um, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension um, has a uh, like a field day that they'll host at different vineyards, and I remember pulling up into this beautiful 50-acre vineyard, and this guy knew everything, and this vineyard was super incredible. And I was like, I left that day going, I want to get to know that guy better, and I want to I want to learn as much as he knows. And um, about a year later, we kind of got connected through a mutual friend, and and. Uh, he said, you know, hey, you're that, you're that kid making that hot little Blanc de Bois that everybody's talking about. And I was like, yeah, man, you're Bill Blackman. And back to your original question, you know, how it is now is it's exploding. Um, Ten years ago, you could, every other winery had a wine that was maybe drinkable, and now it has totally changed. It's getting so competitive. Uh, so many wineries are doing such a great job with different varieties and making, uh, making and growing Texas wine. I mean. Stylistically, we're, we're, we're not going after California or Italy or France. We're growing Texas wine and developing our own regionality. Um, and in Texas, you know, we can put the whole country of France inside Texas. Right. And so we farm quite a bit in the hill country uh, where our winery is. Uh, and, and there's, shoot, probably 70 wineries in the area now. Wow. Um, and then, then there's the Texas High Plains, which is in the Lubbock area, which is about four and a half, four hours away. And that is a huge growing area as well. Uh, a lot of cotton and peanut and grain sorghum far farmers have diversified and gone into grapes. So that's where about 70% of the state's grapes uh, come from, and then the Texas high plains. When I, when I think of, when I imagine in my complete ignorance about Texas winemaking sure. uh, or wine growing, <clears throat> I sort of imagine real hot, real arid. Mm -hmm. uh, Rolling Hills, kind of like southern Spain, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just, it was just in Alicante um, a couple months ago, and it just it looked like home. I mean, in <laughs> uh, especially um, in the hill country, it's very hilly, um, but not like California hilly. I mean, not like uh, 
you know, not 3,000. Well, it's mountainous, yeah. It's right, different. right. I mean, we're hills. Right. Um, and in the hill country, it's, it is such a cool place to grow grapes because it's, it's mainly limestone. But, and then there's this huge vein called the upper, the middle, and the lower hickory uh, where it's all decomposed granite over sandstone. So there's just a giant, almost 150 mile long vein of decomposed granite that is so cool to grow in. And that, we have a vineyard in the middle of that um, that tastes totally different than the Perdinalis River Valley, We're in, kind of in the central area of the hill country, um, that's all um, sandy loam over, over limestone. And then there's some other areas of limestone kind of everywhere in the hill country. So it makes a, uh, you know, decomposed granite and limestone are some of the two yeah, most sought after soils stuff, right? uh, in the world. And, and what, what elevation are you at there? Um, we're only about 1,400 feet. Okay, so not super yeah. high. Yeah. Uh, it seems like maybe being that far south, being where you're at, you must have a super long, hot growing season. Is that right? Um, we do. We do have a very long, hot growing season, but you know we can see anywhere from ten to thirty-five inches of rain a year. So, oh, you eat that much? Yeah. So it's it's. Uh, I think we average about twenty-seven uh, inches of rain. But if you look at uh, you know the five or the ten-year average, you'll see you'll see these numbers that pop out like, you know, we'll, be have, we'll have a drought at 10 inches of rain, and then five years, years later, you'll have a, a 35 inch year, sure. which is um, you know, obviously not Napa, perfect. Napa, Sonoma, you know, California essentially is going through the same thing. Right, so. and we're in a continental climate, which is very, very different from the West Coast. I mean, we have things that come in, uh, weather patterns that come in from Mexico, uh, from, from the Pacific side that affect us. We have stuff that comes down through the uh, Pacific Northwest um, on the inside of the mountain range. We have stuff that comes in from the Gulf of Mexico. So um, if you had to pick a perfect place to grow grapes, Texas would not be it because of its volatile sure. climate. Uh, we have hail, late freezes, um, tornadoes. Um, oh, yeah. And so, but in my opinion, it, it is what wine is all about. Is I mean, you look at France this year, right? I mean, sure, yeah. Some, Hail's been yeah, devastating. Every, every, you know, they have a lot of issues too. So um, we're doing a lot of different things to combat that, and that's that. Um, in a, necessity breeds innovation. We've got a lot of determined people who say we're going to grow fantastic wines in Texas, and so we have wind machines everywhere um, now. And we were one of the first companies. Uh, to bring in wind machines in Texas, along with uh, Lost Straw Vineyards, that's one of our best friends uh, and, and, and vineyard owners that we buy a lot of grapes from. And uh, we're looking at hail netting coming in now. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to Argentina. Have and you Spain. been hit by hail pretty hard? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Every year, it's uh, it's just it's just uh, it's a matter of where and when. Oh, you know? you're going to get hail. Yeah, it's not so much in the hill country, but the high plains for sure. I see. Um, but we're growing some really, really incredible varieties. Let's and, talk about that. What yeah. Varieties are you guys growing at William Chris? So at William Chris, oh my gosh, we grow um, primarily. Uh, we, we started growing Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, um, Trebbiano Toscano, kind of originally, and that's a vineyard that my business partner planted 20 years ago. Um, and that was we still make some great wines of some of the Bordeaux, and I brought some some Bordeaux varieties for you to to taste. But uh, we're uh, we also have an Italian vineyard, a Sangiovese, Aglianico, um, Montepulciano. Aglianico, or Aglianico Montepulciano and uh, uh, Nero Diavola. Um, and then we, we've planted quite a bit of Malbec, um, okay. and Tifredo, uh, Morvedra. And Morvedra does well, yeah. Morvedra yeah, and Tanat. Yeah, absolutely. Tanat too, yeah. Tan Morvedra and Tanat are really where we're focusing uh, now. We still make a couple thousand cases of 
of uh, uh, Bordeaux, a couple of different Bordeaux blends and, and a bit of Malbec. So um, kind of like Matarat type stuff. Yeah, huh? absolutely. And we do kind of a Coharis blend too of uh, Merlot Malbec um, that is really, really incredible. I didn't bring that today, but um, uh, it's, a, it's a really fun wine from an older vineyard in the High Plains. And I, don't, I don't recall, did, did you say any white varieties? Uh, yeah, so we make uh, we grow Trebbiano Toscano. Oh, Trebbiano, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and Roll or uh, Vermentino okay, yeah. um, uh, in the hill country, and then uh, in the high plains we grow quite a bit of Roussan um, and Trebbiano. Um, cool. And then a little Muscat Blanc. Um, oh no, kidding. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, You're Musc busy. Yeah, we. <laughs> you name it, we probably either make a little bit of it, or uh, we make about. Uh, 25,000 cases now. You're making 25,000 cases yeah. in one year, huh? In 2008 was our first vintage uh, under William Chris. Now, now, Texas is a great wine wine market. Oh, it's fantastic, um, yeah. Is that where most of your wines are being sold? Oh, yeah, 80, 85% of our wine is sold in Texas. Wow. Um, and, and 97, 98% is direct to consumer. So we ship, oh. we ship out all wine to 28 different states in China right now. Um, which we don't send that much wine to China, but actually Chicago is our um, probably largest market outside of the state, as well as Denver. And That's great. Seattle, yeah, we've. It's we've, great to see that you're being. Uh, people are, are willing to take a look at Texas wine here. Well, most of it is people coming into the Hill Country as a. It's a. It's an incredible wine tourism destination. Um, it's number two behind Napa. It is incredible. We see a thousand people a week at my taste. Room. Really, a thousand people a week. We would see a thousand people. And on those Saturday. people are coming into like Austin and driving for like a day trip out. Yeah. So well, mainly they're from Austin, San Antonio. I mean, there's almost four million people in the greater Austin and San Antonio area. Maybe almost five million. Then you've got Houston and Dallas, yeah, uh, which are huge metropolitan areas, about three hours away. Um, so we are incredibly blessed with um, not only our economy, but a lot of folks that are fans of Texas and uh, really are interested in, in, in tasting what Texas tastes like. And, and uh, that's what my business partner, Bill Blackman, and I focus on is, is, is letting people taste what all these different areas of Texas taste like. How would you describe that if, if you're trying to tell somebody what, te what Texas tastes like? What would you tell me? I would say, well, we're, we're in Texas because we make wine from almost all the corners sure. of Texas. Um, from Longview, which is damn near Arkansas, um, a white variety called Blanc de Bois, and then you know, all the way to the, the High Plains. And then um, we, we have a vineyard about an hour north of Big Bend in Fort Davis, Texas, which is some of the oldest Cabernet Sauvignon in the state. Um, and then it's, oh, we're talking old, we're talking like 30 years, 40 years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's 38 years old. Okay. Excuse me. And then uh, Sonora, low desert, it's about an hour from Mexico. Wow, you kind of, what are you doing? You're trucking your food in the refrigerated trucks? Oh yeah, and oh yeah, absolutely. Everything, um, everything is, is done, done in refrigerated trucks. Um, our white varieties that are uh, farther than a couple hours away will actually press out at a different facility and then tanker in the next day. We'll cold press and then tanker back home okay. the next day. We're, logistics is a huge part of our job. Yeah, especially uh, in Texas, I mentioned sure. you so at least you're in the middle. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, that, that does make it better. Um, but as far as what Texas tastes like, um, in the hill country, the limestone is, is creating these, these really great, um, somewhat chalky uh, tannin, um, great, great uh, phenolic wines um, that I'm really enjoying, um, some of which you know, have a long life in them. Um, and then the decomposed granite 
Um, we're getting a lot of these like very red fruit characteristics, which are really desirable in my opinion. Um, and a little bit of like these, these kind of raspberry and, and sage and anise aromatics that I think are really pleasant. And, uh, but not all wines that come out of Texas are really, you know, they're not all 10 year wines or 20 year wines. And not all wines should be though. I, I agree completely. And, and so, uh, but we are in a, in a wonderful place with all of our fans. Um, you know, I find that when you come to our tasting room or when you come to the Hill Country, um, we have an opportunity in that. Um, you know, you, you come in and most people say, well, I love Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, me too. You know, yeah, who doesn't, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. But here's a wine called Tanad that I think you're really going to enjoy. And people like, to what? You know, and, <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and I think where it was really amazing about Texas is it doesn't matter if you've been drinking wine for 25 years or you just decided to put down your last Dr. Pepper and try uh, wine for the first time. Um, the hospitality in our area is, is really unmatched and uh, you can come in and learn about wine and have many different experiences. I mean, don't get me wrong, the Napa Sonoma is, uh, is great and all, but, well, sure. um, you know, and Paso Robles, but you come to the Hill Country. But they're not the beginning, middle, and end of wine countries either. So. That's right, that's right. We really provide a whole different experience and then you get to see so many different folks doing so many different varieties. Um, you know, and we don't, we haven't pinned down, um, we've, we, we've got a, a few varieties that I think well, it are took, really. It took, you know, the monks in Burgundy hundreds of yeah, years to figure right. out it's just these two things that grow Pino real well here. Yeah. You're 30 years, 40 years into this thing still figuring it out. So right, right. you really are at the at the forefront, like you said. Sure. You, you had the opportunity to be at the forefront of this and you are. Right. So right. Uh, let's taste some wine. Yeah, sounds great. Um, I've about four wines today. Great. Um, this is a little Malbec Rosé. So this is, um, actually we grow this right on our estate. So. Um, about half of the wines that we produce at William Chris are, uh, uh, we grow. Um, so we, Bill Blackman, my business partner, is one of the best farmers in Texas. Uh, he and our team um, farm, um, gosh, almost, almost 40 acres, which is maybe a little bit less than half of our production now, um, in seven different properties. Um, and then the other half comes from 14 to 15 different Texas families um, all across the state. We're 100% Texas grown. We always have and always will be. And that's something that is uh, not every Texas winery is 100% Texas grown. And, and that's something that we're very proud of. Um, but this, this is a Malbec rosé, uh, all from high estate. So it's all grown over limestone, um, you know, about five five and a half tons an acre. Um, we actually crop this a little bit, okay. a, a little bit heavier, just because we're in a very vigorous site. There used to be a quarter million turkeys grown uh, <laughs> right on the vineyard really? site. Um, in, in the hill country, it was big turkey country. Okay. Um, so needless to say, we we hardly ever fertilize. Yeah, well fertilized <laughs> yeah. soil, sure. Um, but we're really, um, we have, some, it's frankly almost a, a we, we originally planted this vineyard to blend in one of our Bordeaux blends, but it, it uh, fights too much with uh, the Bordeaux stuff grown over over uh, the decomposed granite. The, the stuff over limestone is, the, the phenolics are, are so much stronger, it doesn't blend well. So we really opted uh, to change this um, especially this vintage when we saw a little bit more rain at the end of the season. What's the vintage on this? This is 2016. 2016. So we, we're very, um, in Texas we change, uh, or at least here at William Chris, we, we will change our plan because the weather changes. 
So you know, typically we were doing this in, in our Bordeaux blend, um, or, or doing it as a single variety because it doesn't blend well with our other um, decomposed granite blends. However, now we're going, hey, the, the rain's coming in, we need to make beautiful rosé out of this uh, instead of letting it hang through the rain because Malbec does not do well cool. um, in the rain. Well, it's got a real pretty color. It's, Thank you. It's like a light peach, not, not quite salmon-y. I'd call it more like a light peachy kind of color. 100% whole cluster pressed, all fermented and aged in concrete, Sir Lee. Okay. Um, this is in a yeah, I get the creaminess on the nose for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and it was our first experience with concrete, and I love it. We are addicted to concrete. Buy a couple eggs. And well, I bought an egg now. This is done in a cube. Okay, um, yeah. An 1,100-gallon cube, which... Got to have an egg today, though. It's oh, like everybody uh, yeah, has it. Right, and we were some of the first people to ever uh, make wine and concrete in Texas that I know about, and we are having so much fun with it. It's um, really floral. Um, actually, before I even picked the glass up, it, it, it hit me. It's, it jumps out at you. Yeah, it's pretty. Very perfumed minerality too on, on it and that minerality is you know that's this just screams limestone to me and and in Texas I feel like when we make five different rosés at William Chris uh, we also make a Petion Natural we, rosé uh, oh really that's cool yeah that's the, that's the cool geeky stuff that yeah, everyone wants yeah. now huh? the nerd one yep uh, but I mean Texas is so driven towards rosé Right now, um, you know, if you would have told me five years ago that we would be making 2,000 cases of rosé, I'd be like, no way. That's and real trendy right now. Yeah, well, we we drive it. I mean, in, in, in Texas, you know, we'll take breakfast, lunch, or dinner and roll it up in a tortilla and eat it, right? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. Right. Like, we're eating a lot of smoked meats and um, a, lot of, a lot of dried meats. And I think it's so interesting that you've seen in the past, excuse me, couple of years that Texans are starting to to grow wines and, and produce wines and styles that are so driven to our cuisine. Because we have a great Mexican influence, we have a great German influence, uh, you're seeing all, and even Creole, you're seeing all those kind of come in and influence the hill country and, and uh, you know, there's, if you go by our crush pad during harvest, there's always something on the smoker. Yeah, I bet, I bet. <laughs> well, it's great, like, mandarin flavors mm -hmm. and spicy complexity to the finish it just sort of keeps going and almost like it's seen some time in wood mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it, it, I mean that's where that spiciness is but it's, it's not the stirring it's a it's stirring, stirring of the so leaves. All, all the leaves get stirred uh, every other week every um, other week yeah and a, and a good stirring too not just a not just a uh, uh, not just a light a light yeah, uh, that just right. no I mean we you stir it. give it yeah absolutely and that's a technique that uh, we really wanted to feed this wine oxygen. It was a little reductive, and, and uh, you know this was aged for about seven months in concrete, six, six seven months. So what do we have next? Low desert fruit, 100% Tempranillo, all grown over limestone. Here in Sonora, it's halfway in between uh, Sonora and uh, Rock Springs, Texas. This is a vineyard owned by the Campbell family, Erica and Cam Campbell. Uh, they have about oh, a little less than 20 acres. This is a single vineyard. Single vineyards, yeah, temp uh, and there's no other vineyards around it at all. I mean, this That's is cool. 20 miles off the main road. Aged all in uh, Eastern European and a little bit of American oak. Just a little American, huh? Now you didn't go the whole, oh, no, no. whole Rioja way, huh? We're, we're only about 5 five to 7% American oak, mostly Eastern European and French. Um, and we're only about, oh... Most of our Bordeaux stuff sees about 50% new oak. Most of our, our Rhone and other varieties only about 30. Um, I think the older I get, 
uh, maybe it's experience, I don't know. We're, I think we're getting better and better at farming. And, you know, eight years ago, I used to think like, if we have badass grapes and badass barrel, like we're gonna be okay. And now I wanna really, I think that we can use too much wood and I wanna- For sure. Show, show some Well, the, the fruit definitely comes through on this. This is not like- You gotta tame this, this yeah. wine a bit. And we don't actually grow that much Tempranillo or make that much Tempranillo, um, only from a couple of different sites, which Tempranillo is definitely expanding and blowing up in Texas. Tempranillo, Morvedra, and Tanat are that's what you're finding. Morvedra is, is the dominant uh, grape in Texas, and we um, we grow quite a bit of it and make quite a bit of it. We're probably the, the larger producer of Morvedra right now. Um, and then you've got Carignan and um, and Cinso is really uh, is really expanding and uh, uh, even uh, Petit Syrah. And what's the vintage of the Tempranillo? This is 20, 2015. 2015. So this okay, is a baby. so pretty young yet. Yes, but really fruit forward. And that's this is I brought this today because I really wanted to show you that this wine is drinking really bright, really nice now. But we make a lot of high pH wines, um, you know that that um, aren't necessarily that, that can age in the, for five five to eight years, ten years. I mean, this is probably finished pH at a three seven, three seven one. Yeah, I mean, the tannins are. There, they're a little smooth. You know, they might mm -hmm. settle down a little bit with they're age, still a but bit rigid. I think this is. Now for the next three years is about, you know, um, this is not like old school Rioja where right. you need to lay it, lay it down for 20 years. Right, and right. And we don't have the time, to be honest with you. I mean, like so many, so many guys in Texas, um, you know, uh, we need to produce wine and sell it. And we're blessed with a ton of people that want to buy our wine. And so uh, it's, it's uh, and unfortunately, not a lot of it gets out of the state because mm -hmm. of that. Uh, it's nice and complex. The fruit starts out red, but then there's like a little plumminess that comes mm -hmm, in. Mm -hmm. And then it's, again, real floral. A lot, a lot of a lot of like purple flowers and the purple flowers and, and violets are all limestone. All, off all the limestone stuff that we're growing, you, you, we're really and I think our winemaking style really pulls pulls that out. I think um, Josh, our production winemaker, myself, we're very focused on kind of coaxing that terroir out. And uh, the, the more experience we get um, with, uh, we also we also do a bit of uh, co co uh, fermentation with different skins. So. Um, we we actually co-fermented a little Syrah skins from the same vineyard in in this oh, same cool. fermentation. Well, um, what was the thought behind that? Um, that the Tempranillo had good color, um, but I also wanted to take a little bit of the chewiness from the Syrah and, okay. and run, kind of build up the it's complexity. It's more textural than yeah, anything. Because I don't think, I'm not the getting anything that's Syrah-like no, right, here right. at all. I mean, I'm not getting any black, black pepper, pepper yeah. right, yeah. Um, but co-pigmentation is the big one for us. So, um, you know, in a hot climate. Alicante we Boucher. Yeah. Well, they have one row, and another one of my buddies gets the Alicante. I'm like, man, I just want Nature's uh, food coloring. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and so we're, we're doing quite a bit of that with Petit Fredo skins and Tanat skins, uh, the co-pigmentation. And, you know, I think that, again, necessity breeds innovation. Well, the color's pretty. You got a nice, bright acidity at the end, too. This yeah. is... This wine needs food. I mean, yeah. it really does. And I think drinking it without food is not is doing it a disservice. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, I really want a, a big hunk of Granberry Gold. This a great little, uh, great little uh, creamery, uh, a couple hours north. What do we have next? 
All right, this is a little petit frito. Okay, and it looks like petit frito. It's dark and... Yeah. So this is grown, I wanted to show you the, the Texas High Plains. Um, this is grown off La Perdera Vineyards in Brownfield, Texas. Wow, deep and inky and... Mm -hmm. And this is a variety, and again, you know... Brooding color. Bordeaux varieties, you know, yes, are they, are they the answer for Texas? And I think in some, some instances, when you look at Petit Verdot, absolutely. Um, not a big producer, maybe two and a half, two tons to the acre. Uh, is all we ever produce, um, which we get great physiolog physiological ripeness. On this, we also get um, uh, just great structure. I mean, this is a wild beast, and it's one of those wines that uh, we always start with about 30 barrels, and we end up bottling only about 18 or 20 okay. because a lot of the we use this to top with a lot of. Uh, there's a this is a larger vineyard, um, La Pradera, so. Um, and it's centrally located um, uh, in East Brownfield, so... Uh, I have no idea where that is. So like an hour or 30 minutes south of Lubbock. Okay. Um, so the High Plains. Okay. Um, uh, on the Do you find you getting some reductive notes from the fruit coming up from up absolutely. there too? Yeah, because I'm getting a little bit of uh, uh, like rubber band yeah, or plastic yeah. or something. Green olive, uh, big time. Yep, that's hiding under there. And then the fruit comes through. This right. is just on the nose. The fruit comes through. This is a 2014. It's earthy and more savory than... I love these wines because, and then this is, I would say kind of one of our signatures is that, uh, especially on some of these uh, bigger tannic red wines, is that slight reduction. And uh, I think that's a little bit by design in a sense that I like people to drink a bottle of our wine. Not uh, the one person just drinking. Wait, wait, no, 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 you know what you mean. But, but sit down and enjoy a glass. And, and I love it when our fans come in and go, Man, the first glass we had of this was, was great, and then the second glass was, oh my God. You know? Great weight, mm -hmm. real silky. But and not, then the fruit comes through, and then papery tannins, because mm -hmm. they're young and... Now this is potentially 10-year wine. Yeah, for know? sure. Yeah. Um, you think over time some of those reductive notes will kind of go away? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that's what we're, I mean, without a doubt. And I don't think... We bring it all the way to the edge to where it's it's slightly reductive, but I don't think these tannins are going to go dry. That's what you're worried about, right? No, you're still gonna, you still want some, right? Sure, but you don't want that 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 dryness that when it starts moving up on your palate and the very front of your palate starts getting those really dry mm -hmm. sandpapery tannins. That's where I feel like you can kind of lose a wine where it's kind of going the opposite direction on the, on the tannins that that you want. Um, this next wine is a uh, Tanat, and you want you want your uh, your violets. Here it is. And I love, I love making these wines that, I mean, again, you know, people are looking, if, if people love Napa Cabernet, right, um, we are not ever going to grow Napa Cabernet, right? Um, right, and, no, no. And we shouldn't. No, right, let, let, let Napa grow Napa <laughs> yeah. Cabernet. And Washington grows great Cabernet, and right. uh, Passarello grows great Cabernet. You know, and, and, and we're, I hate always being compared to those regions when we can grow things like Morvedra and Tanat and Petit Frito, um, it opens people's eyes up to new varieties that are interesting and that they might not have heard about before and that they can they can enjoy. And I, th I find that when we can educate our fans and educate new people to wine and teach them something that they didn't know, that it's uh, much easier to create a wine fan and a wine enthusiast forever. And, you know, uh, 
wine fans are kind of slutty, you know. Like, yeah, well, for sure, without a doubt. I, I go to a bar and I drink Maker's Mark when I when I want to drink mm -hmm. whiskey, right? Because it's my brand. Right. But wine drinkers, man, you know, we'll drink everything. Oh yeah, no, no. yeah. Well, it's the fun. I yeah, mean, it's, you know. we drank a wine from Slovenia last night, and it was amazing. And then went to Croatia. And I'm like, this is so cool, you know. Yeah. You can just experience these. So this these wine things. is. Like you said in those, it's all about purple flowers. Right, uh, and that's, that's... I mean, that's about all I'm getting, too. It's just straight on... This is grown in literally like two inches of loam all over limestone. And uh, I'll tell you this, too. There's a... Uh, that's it, just two inches of loam and then... And then straight limestone. Wow. And, and Tanat in Texas is fantastic, and I love it over over limestone. And uh, I'll tell you a funny story about this this block. It's right as you drive in to the, to the winery and the vineyard, and... Um, the guys, we were putting in stakes um, originally, and I I, uh, I noticed that we started in the morning. My guys hadn't put in very many stakes, and I come out there and I'm like, "What the hell are you guys doing?" And they're like, "Boss, there is a '56 uh, Ford pickup right underneath here that had been buried, God knows how long, and they had the hood off, and they had this whole like 10 foot spread." dug up because they, they were trying to hammer in the stake and I was like what the hell are you doing and they're like we're gonna dig this thing up I was like that's gonna take a week just bury it and we'll plant the vines right over the top of it <laughs> and, and this uh, this vineyard and, and one of the vines has died right there but all the rest of the vines around it are fine you know it's uh, interesting yeah so there's, <laughs> wow there's a little bit a little bit of a pickup in, in this <laughs> a little bit little pickup in this one yeah um, well it's bright bright red fruit and that, not not as serious or right. brooding as like a like a tenat from the Madarak can be, you know, right. those could be like like so, monsters on so, you. Know? Sometimes I, I actually frankly don't enjoy them as much. Like I, I I've gotten into a few of them and then some of them I just kinda of find like so big that they're almost like bowl you over yeah. and, and and I don't want to say uninteresting because that's not the right word. No, um, but they they dominate everything. Where this is it's got this bright red fruit, mm -hmm. this this high toned acid. Mm -hmm. It's got that grippy tannin. Mm -hmm. um, again, this is a wine that screaming for food, right. barbecue, barbecue, you and know, absolutely. brisket. I think would bring a little fatty part of the brisket. You're speaking my language. Uh, I sir. think that's what this wine is about. Right, right. Um, and again, something to lay down. I think it'll integrate more over the years. What's the vintage on this? This is only 2014. 2014, yeah. So I mean, we're drinking a three-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old Tanat. Tanat I mean, right, right. Pretty, pretty, pretty gutsy to open that one up and expect anything less than kind of Big something tan. that's going to club you a little bit. Right. Um, but it's delicious. Rip your face off, Tan. And, well, your wines are all complex and, and integrated and complete. Right. Uh, very tasty. Thank you Next time much. I get out to uh, Central Texas, I'm going to take a couple-hour drive out in the hill country and come and see you. Absolutely, and I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to take you around. We'll we'll go shoot some pigs and throw some uh, on the pit. I would, I would. I would. I would. I would do that with you. Texas wine, man. Chris Brundrett, William Chris Vineyards. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, thanks for having, having me. Appreciate having you. I really appreciate the time and uh, and uh, the chance to taste new folks on on Texas grown wine. So thanks for having me. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode. Go to www.thehonestpoorpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Poor with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Poor with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Poor. This has been The Honest Poor with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. 